Morning, family. Who heard that word from the Lord? Six children. Take six children into a house. That's why Letitia and Sishle and myself and Natasha, we had four of our own. So it just, you know, sort of covers, we feel it covers us. Well, it's so great to be together this morning and thank you to all of you that are joining us online. And I also want to mention all of those that are listening to this via the radio. It's so great to be with you. We are busy with our series entitled More Fruit and we are considering how do we grow in our fruitfulness in the Lord. And a lot of the imagery that we've used is, is about vines and grapes and you know, all the, just the, the wonderful thoughts that that evokes because that's an image and a symbolism that Jesus used in John 15. There's also beautiful scriptures in Isaiah 5, for instance, where it talks about God as the gardener that goes into his vineyard and is looking for fruit. But there's a beautiful South African story that I would like to start with today. And this story is about a uniquely South African product um, that's, that came about because in 1925, 1925, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Abraham Isaac Perot, who was the first professor of vertic viticulture at Stellenbosch University. And uh, he wanted to produce a grape for winemaking that was strong and produced good grape, good quality grape that was good for winemaking, but at the same time was relatively easy to grow within our conditions. So he started experimenting and through a, a process of cross-pollination, he took a hermitage or hermitage uh, grape and he cross-pollinated it with a Pinot Noir grape. And uh, the idea, as I said, was really to produce, uh, to make this cultivar that grew well in our conditions. And eventually he was successful and he produced four seeds out of this experiment with two plants that he cross-pollinated and he had four seeds. He took these four seeds and he planted it in his garden at the official dwelling that he was living at, at the university. And uh, he planted these the, the seeds and surely enough they grew and they became quite strong quite quickly. But it seems that he forgot about these grapes because two years later he moved on from the university and took employment elsewhere and so he left this vine that was growing in, in that yard and just moved on. And so the house stood empty for a period of time and so eventually the administrator of the university said it was becoming a bit of an eyesore. They needed to clean the house and, and clean the garden. So he sent a team in to go and clean the garden and they were busy hacking away at all the overgrown plants and you know, busy doing that. Fortunately, on that particular moment, a young lecturer, a guy by the name of Dr. Charlie Niaus, was riding on his bicycle past the house and he knew the story of these four seeds. And he saw that they were busy pulling these plants out. So he stopped them and rescued these four plants, these vine, this vine that was growing there. He took that and eventually he gave it to the new professor at the university, a guy by the name of C.J. Teron, Professor Teron. And he gave it to him and he proceeded to begin to just plant them somewhere. And again, they were left in a, in a piece of ground. And for seven years, they just grew. And then the professor decided he needs to do something more with this. And so he took a cutting from this vine that was growing. And he grafted it in to a more secure and stable and established vine's root system. 
and it really took off. And that's where, in 1935, we launched in South Africa what is commonly known as Pinotage wine. We are uniquely, uh, we're the unique producers in the world of Pinotage wine. Only gets made in South Africa because of this story of how something was brought about because somebody gently worked and then eventually grafted a, 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 a sapling, a seed, a, 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 seed, a little cutting into the right foundation. And that speaks to me of the story of our father who is the gardener, as Jesus says, who lovingly and carefully saw the potential that we have. Even though we were grafted and brought up in a root system that was busy causing us to die. Even though we were beginning to fail and were not able to live up to the plans and the dreams that God had for us, our fruit was not delivering as God intended. He didn't give up on us. He saw the potential in us and therefore he took us and he cut us out of that system, that root system, and grafted us in to the new covenant in Christ so that we can produce more fruit. Grafting is the process of placing a shoot system, or commonly known in, in that industry as a scion, S-C-I-O-N, of one cultivar or species on the root system of a rootstock of another species that is more established, secure, and strong. The only requirement that is needed for the grafting to work and be viable is that there is enough cambium contact. Cambium is a single layer of cell cells that's just located below the bark of a plant. So if you want to take a sapling or a cutting and graft it into a sturdier plant, secure plant, you have to make sure that there's enough cambium contact. That the cambium of the rootstock has enough contact with the cambium of the cutting that you're putting in. If you can get that right and secure, that plant will take and it will eventually become stronger and produce more fruit and perhaps even unique fruit. Isn't that the process that the, that the Father is lovingly doing with each of our lives? He has taken us. He has grafted us into Christ so that the cambium of Christ can begin to be shared with us, begin to change us, transform us, and so that ultimately we can bear more fruit because of the life of Christ within us. And as we bear more fruit, we will be known as those that have been with Christ, or perhaps, as we will say in modern language, those that are followers of Christ. The biblical word, those that are disciples of Christ. So today I want to talk a little bit with us about being followers of Christ. The word follower is a word we use, but it, it doesn't quite capture the idea of the mathetes or the disciple in the, in the New Testament context, the Greek word. Perhaps a better word to use is the word apprentice. An apprentice is somebody that learns from a master to become as good as a master is at a particular field or knowledge or expertise or ability. And that's what we are invited to do by Jesus. That's where the cambium begins to infiltrate and work. 
is when we are followers of Christ, that walk alongside an apprentice, model ourselves to the master, to become more and more like the master and bear the fruit that the master has borne. Now I said to you over the previous couple of weeks, I kept on saying next week, I will tell you a little bit more about fruit and what does that mean? Now it's arrived, that point has arrived. So those of you that are joining us online, take note. I want to use four descriptions or four classifications of the fruit we bear. It's not four different kinds of fruit, they all make the package together and I wanna thank Tia for this. Tia sent me an article via Neil, Michelle. No, Tia says, not me. So she doesn't want to be blamed if I get this wrong. Sorry, okay, so Michelle. Michelle sent it to Neil. Neil sent it to me. I don't know who the author of this is, but I thought this is a quite a good description. I think there's four things that we can consider when we think about the fruit that Jesus wants to produce through our lives, that when he says he wants more fruit, it perhaps can be in these four ways that we can understand that. The first is the fruit of action or conduct. It's the fruit of the things we do. I think you'll agree with me that people will know us by our actions. Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. Part of that fruit is the things we do. How we act towards other people begins to reflect what's going on inside of us. And if I've been with Jesus, surely it will begin to change the way I act the way I do things. I think so beautifully we sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear. You see, if you're a slave to fear, you act in a certain way as Letitia prayed. But if you've been set free in Christ, you begin to act a different way. And that's the fruit that should be seen in our lives. The second one is the fruit of attitudes or character. Not only do we begin to behave differently or do things differently, but we begin to be different, don't we? If you've walked with Jesus, you become different in your character. You approach life with a different character. You have a, a character that perhaps embraces integrity more than you used to. You want to live more transparently. You want to be more caring. You want to be more careful with the way you approach people and deal with people. Your character becomes more sound. And, and, and established because I've been with Jesus. The character of Jesus begins to work through me. Then the fruit of addition or of conversion and discipleship. That's a fruit that I think you'll all agree with me that we want to see grow in our lives is that we are helping other people to get to know Jesus. That we're sharing Jesus with other people and we're seeing others come to faith in Jesus because of our lives. And then the last one is the fruit of activity or competence, the skills we have. We've spoken often about, particularly when we talk about things like our frontline and in whole life discipleship, that our work is worship to the Lord. Our work in itself can be a kingdom activity. Let me remind you that sometimes you, you may find yourself as an engineer or a, or a teacher or a cleaner or a, or a person that sells vegetables next to the road or a driver or an IT technician or a, or a programmer, a coder or whatever you may be, a sports person. You may find yourself in a context where there's not godly order. Things aren't done the way it's supposed to be done according to God's order. And when things aren't done according to God's order, it leads to destruction. It leads to failure. 
I have, a, I have a friend who's a professional rugby player, and um, he's just I'm, through him I'm learning just a little bit about how that world works and the money within it and the challenges that professional sports people face. And if there's not godly order, it ultimately leads to destruction. But God can place a person in an environment like that and through that person's skills and abilities can begin to change an environment because a person is skilled at how they do their sport or how they teach or how they drive. There's a skill that equips them because our work is part of our kingdom service. It's not only how we work, but it's what we do the work we have that can see God's kingdom established. And, and it's in those four areas and f- that we want to see more fruit. How many of you are with me? That says, I want to I have more fruit of the actions that I do. I want that to be more fruitful. I want that to have an impact on people. I, I want to have more fruit in my character. I want it to be easy for people to say, you've been with Jesus. Perhaps as they get to know me over time, they will say, wow, there's something about you. I want to have the fruit of addition. I want to have more people get to know Jesus. And surely that's a fire burning in our hearts, the the love for the gospel to be spread. I want to have the fruit of of competence and activity. I, I want to do things that matter and that makes this world be a little bit more like the way Jesus intended it to be. And that's the life of a disciple. That's the fruit we want. The other day Natasha was in Joburg somewhere for something. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what she was for. Ask her. So she, she was driving and stopping at a garage, and she went into a little store at the garage, you know, one of those to buy something. I, I don't know what she was buying. I really don't know. But as she was in the store, she uh, in, started interacting with a, a lady, a younger lady that was in the store, also a shopper, and just started talking with one another, just having a conversation, you know, as South Africans do. We just talk to people. And she was just having a conversation, and it's, and really, she said, it was such a nice conversation with this lady. And this lady at some point said, there's something about your aura. Your aura is just beautiful. There's something about you. I don't know what it is, but there's something. Your aura is so wonderful. What is it? And so Natasha like, said, well, I know Jesus. And I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And the lady said, that must be it. Bye. Have a nice day. And she left. (laughs) That should happen to us as followers of Jesus from time to time. That people don't quite know what to do with us because they're like, there's something different about you. You smell a bit different. And I'm not talking about Old Spice. (sighs) We're just different because we've been with Jesus. So we want to increase in all those facets of fruit. In his commentary on the book of John that we are working through, Gary Burge does a fantastic job, a beautiful job of describing and catching some of the themes that John is, how he develops his writing. And one of the things that he picked up on is how early in the book of John, he establishes who is a follower of Christ. What does a follower of Christ look like? What does a follower of Christ do Versus what a fuller of Christ is not or does not do. And then he maintains that throughout the book. And so what I want to do with you is quickly go to John 1 from verse 19 to 51. Then John 3 and John 4. We're going to cover all of that today. 
and quickly talk about four things that he mentions, and then I'll bring those four things and the fruits that we've described together. He talks about four things that he notices that are the behavior or the characteristics of a disciple. When you see, he's, he's like saying, listen, read the book, and whenever you encounter Jesus busy with somebody, if you see these four things or the most of these four things happening, you know that that person will be a follower of Christ. If you don't see these four things, they will not be a follower of Christ. And so what I wanna do with you is mention those four things and then quickly show you three case studies of two that were followers of Christ and one that were that did not end up being a disciple or a follower of Christ. The four things, the first one is, a disciple knows that they are not the Messiah. A disciple knows that they are not the Messiah. John 1 verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They came to John. He was drawing a large following of people. And so the priests came to inspect what's going on. And they said to John, who are you? A great question that a disciple should be asked every now and then. Who are you? Why are you, what's about your aura? I never, nobody's ever asked me that. What's my aura? My aura looks so fantastic, it's glowing. I don't know if I have an aura that glows. Only if the camera puts something funny on me will I have an aura that glows or the lights. But there's something that people every now and then should go to. I mean, Ben calls it, what do you call it? A, a life worthy of inspection or a questionable life. That's what you call it. Not that you live in a way that people go, huh? In a way that's like, there's something different about you. So they come to John and they say, listen, you're a bit of a weird dude. I mean, you've got like, locust legs hanging out your mouth and wearing like really scratchy clothes and out here in the desert. Who are you? What are you on about? And he answers and says, I am not the Christ. Now, I don't think there's many people in this room or joining us online or on the radio that would say, I am the Christ. If you do, please come forward, let us pray for you <laughs> at the end of the service. I don't think, but you know what this says to me? It says there's a, he knew that he needed help. He needed a savior, he couldn't save himself. He said, I'm not the one that can save myself or anybody else. Even though he was drawing a large gathering and baptizing people and causing quite a stir at the time, he was saying, listen, you, all these people that come to me, don't get confused, I am not the Christ. Sometimes people that draw large crowds want to start thinking that they are the Christ that people are coming to them. He said, I'm just preparing the way. I'm here to point you to somebody else. Remember the whole thing of a sign? You were saying, there's the Messiah, it's on me. I'm not him. Come to me and let me help you to find him. But I'm not him. I need help. I need a savior. You see, the first point that anybody needs to reach before they can become a follower of Christ is to recognize, I need help. I need a savior. I need somebody to come and change my life. They need to be a person that begins to look, that begins to search, that begins to say, everything is not the way it should be. I need help. I need help. Then you can become a follower of Christ. If you think you can do it on your own, if you think you can, you've got it handled, you're not gonna be looking for the Messiah. John says, I'm not the Messiah. A disciple knows they're not the Messiah. The second thing, a disciple recognizes the Messiah. 
If you know you're not the Messiah, you could then potentially recognize when the Messiah does come onto the scene. In John 1 verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but what, that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. John is saying, listen guys, here he is. Here he is. Here's the Messiah. I have come to tell you, here's the Messiah. Jesus said of John that he was the greatest born of woman. Why was he the greatest? Because before Jesus even did anything, he already recognized Jesus. He saw he's the Messiah. And then what John said is, he, I must decrease I must become less important. I must take a step back. My public ministry must now begin to come to an end because Jesus must be elevated. His ministry must take center space. His ministry must be all over Facebook. His ministry must have Instagram on. Not mine, I must recede and disappear because Jesus is the one that has come. Because he knew I'm not the Messiah, but he could recognize the Messiah. And he said, he said this wonderful word. He said, he came before me. I think some of the crowd was like, what's he talking about? You were here first, then Jesus came. And aren't you a little older than Jesus? What do you mean you came? He came before you. Remember what John 1 said? Remember when we read John 1? In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Jesus was pre-existent. God, he never began. He was there in eternity past. John recognized that. He saw this man that probably looked like any other Jewish man of the time. But he saw him and he said, this is the one that was there from the creation by whom everything was created. I am not worthy to tie his shoelaces because he is the one. He recognized the Messiah. A disciple knows they're not the Messiah. A disciple recognizes the Messiah. The third thing, a disciple comes to the Messiah and remains with the Messiah. Now we read of perhaps the next group of followers. John had disciples, people that followed him. And he started talking to these disciples and telling them about Jesus. And so some of them were naturally doing what he said and they were turning away from John and they were looking at this Jesus. And here we read the story of two of them. Again, the next day, John 1 verse 35 to 39. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? What do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. So these two guys that were following John now started saying, okay, okay, now let's take a look at Jesus. And so they're looking at Jesus. And as they look at Jesus, their imagination's being captured. They're beginning to see something that stirs them. So they start following Jesus around. Like, like mothers experience when they have little toddlers. The mom has to go to the bathroom and the little toddler's like, I'm going with you. And he's like, get out of here. I need a moment to myself. Can somebody just take care? Like they follow, and they're starting to follow Jesus. Like and, then they, and then Jesus notices these two weird dudes stalking him. You know, they're like stalkers. They're like, hey, what are you doing? And they're all over Jesus. And, like, and Jesus stops and says, hey, what do you want? I said, where are you going? 
Where do you stay? We want to come and have a sleepover with you. We want to, Ben, come and use your toothbrush. We want to come and just, you know, hang out with you. We just want to be with you. People that end up being followers of Jesus come to Jesus and they stay with Jesus. Is that your testimony? If you call yourself a Christian, is there something in you that says, man, I just want to be with Jesus? I mean, I, I met the Lord Jesus, made a decision in Centurion where I grew up and I was about eight or nine years old. And I decided I want to, you know, honestly, that night when I prayed the prayer, I just don't want to go to hell. I was just, for some other reason, that night, very scared of hell. So I was like, Jesus, be my insurance policy. Get me out of hell. Be my... So I didn't come to Jesus quite knowing what this whole thing was about. But it didn't take long, and I started to get to know Jesus. I started going to this weird church called the Happy Bappies, the Holy Rollers, the Happy Clappies, Nat Wimari, there in Anderson Street called Hatfield Baptist Church. I started going there. And I started getting to know Jesus. And the more I got to know Jesus, the more I just want to be with him. I just wanted to hang out with Jesus. I, I was reading the scripture. And, and every now and then I'd like, you know, do some stupid stuff and wander away from Jesus. But it didn't take long then. Something in me was tugging. That something is not something. It's someone, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, hey, hey. You're not living the way you used to. Your life's different now. You have been influenced. You have been injected. You are interacting with that cambium of Jesus. You've been grafted into Jesus. There's new life beginning to flow in you and it's beginning to change you. And, and I, every now and then I would turn to the world and its things and I, would, and I would eat some of the worldly fruit and it wouldn't take long and I would go, why am I eating this nonsense? I've got something so much better because I'm being with Jesus. Isn't it beautiful when you read these stories, these men and women that encountered Jesus, many of them just had a moment with Jesus and went, hey, he healed me, or hey, he delivered me, or hey, he provided for me. Thank you, Jesus, I'll be on my way now. But some of them said, I wanna stay with you. Even after he died, some said, I wanna stay with you. I just wanna be where you are. Isn't that what happens to us? You experience Jesus. To know Jesus is to experience him. It's, it includes thinking, it includes emotions, it includes everything in life, but it is really you just fall in love with somebody. He just becomes more important than sliced bread, even more important than ice cream. He just becomes, I cannot live without him. Everywhere I go, I just wanna be with Jesus. And that's the life story of a disciple. A disciple is somebody that gets hooked on Jesus and just does not want to wander far away from him. That more and more experiences that, that cambium infiltrating, changing you, touching you, shaping your life differently. Is that your story? Is that what you're experiencing? It's sometimes hard to explain, isn't it? It's sometimes difficult to explain to somebody, but I know I've been captured by Jesus. He's so fantastic. It's like, wow. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, are you also going to leave me? And they said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go if we leave you? You've got the words of life. You've got it all, baby. Uh, we can't leave you. That makes no sense to leave you. I just want to be with Jesus. A disciple is somebody that 
comes to Jesus, spends time with Jesus, and then just wants to stay with Jesus. Stay their life with Jesus. Live every day with him. And then the fourth thing is a disciple tells others about the Messiah. And we see this happen in John 1 verse 40. These two guys that started following Jesus, one of them was a guy by the name of Andrew. And if you, there's a great episode in the Chosen series where, I mean, the Chosen's not the Bible. You cannot, you read the Bible. Chosen, you watch, it just colors in some things. But it's a fantastic episode where, where Andrew gets to meet Jesus. And now he meets Jesus and he can't help himself. He has to tell his brother. How, how many of you remember who his brother is? Peter, Simon Peter. And so we read in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, was, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. You know that thing that we've been doing every day, every week, every month, every year, looking for the Messiah for thousands of years as a people? He's here. We have found him. We've got him. And he, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. You see, because when you come to Jesus, he will show you who you really are. The more you recede, you see, it's a scary thought to think that I must become less so that he can become more. You see, and if you tell that to a person in any other context, it's crazy, it's abusive to say to somebody, you must become less so that the other in your life can become more. Because that means you disappear. That means you lose your individuality, your identity. But when you say that with Jesus, it's different because Jesus made you. He knows you better than you know yourself. This is the fantastic thing. If you've walked with Jesus, you realize I'm becoming less, but in me becoming less, I'm becoming more myself than I would have ever been. Isn't that true? More fruit is coming from my life. Not this weird, yucky fruit that spoils and rottens and hurts and damages and gives disease, but this amazing fruit starts coming from me because the cambium of Christ is beginning to produce fruit in my life. And I'm becoming more like I was ever thought I would be. If you left me to myself, I would have destroyed myself. Now, I, like I said, I got saved at the age of eight, nine, somewhere. I didn't really build up a long track record of grievous sin by that time. You know, by the age of eight or nine, I can remember once breaking a glass and hiding it in the bottom of the freezer. And my mom discovering this broken glass, she opened the freezer and she was like, who did this? I was like, I don't know, it's not me. I can remember once blaming my brother for hitting a hole in the door, I've told you the story, hitting a hole in the door with a cricket wicket. The problem is he was crawling. And I said, my mom said, who hit this door, hole in the door? And I said, it's that sucker. I told you it's not a good idea to have him. Uh, you brought him into this house. This is your responsibility. He drools all over the place. He smells funny. It's him. And she looked at me and she looked at him and she said, I think you are lying to me. I don't have this story of grievous sin that I met before, did that before I met Jesus. I can tell you how Jesus has changed my life. I would have destroyed myself by now. I would have hurt so many people. I, I've done mistakes along the way. 
But by the grace of God, I've been given opportunity to learn, to grow, to correct many of those mistakes. To become more the person that Jesus intended me to be. Because I've given it over and I said, Jesus, have your way. And that's your story. And that's the story of Simon Peter that came to Jesus and Jesus said, you think you know who you are? Let me tell you who you are. You're no longer the person that you thought. I'm gonna tell you who you are. And we'll see that happen in another context just now. But it just happens if you've met Jesus, you wanna tell other people about him. If you've tasted his goodness, if you felt that cambium beginning to change your life and suddenly things look differently, things just, the world starts being different, you can't help yourself but you start saying, come let me show you Jesus, come let me, I wanna tell, I don't know how to explain this to you but can I just, like sometimes just you wanna say to someone, can I just come to church with me because I don't know how to do this but I just want you to feel and taste and see the goodness of Jesus. I just wanna be around him. Sometimes you say to someone, can I just pray with you? Like I, I pray with cashiers all the time. When, if a cashier sniffs or coughs when I'm buying stuff from them, I'm gonna pray for them. Because in that moment, I just want them to know that Jesus loves them. And I'm sure you're the same. You just wanna share Jesus because he's real. So those are the four things that marks a disciple. It's not things that I'm saying you must do to prove that you're a disciple. I'm saying this is what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. This is the working of the Spirit that will begin to manifest in your life. You, you will know that you're not a disciple. You'll have a desire, a need for Christ. You will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. You will come to him and you will remain with him and then you will be there that tell others. So now that we've put those four things in place, quickly let's go to John 3. John 3 is a bit of a case study of somebody that came to Jesus but ended up not following Jesus probably, Nicodemus. In John 3 verse one we read, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Just a little side note, a very interesting thing John does in his book here. Remember I said to you he, he likes to polarize things? One of the things he does is he sets the stage and he polarizes in his writings the context for events between night and day. And generally what is interesting, what he seems to do, is people that are going to be disciples of Jesus meet him in the day and people that are not going to follow Jesus meet him at night. Like Nicodemus, comes to him in the dark. Because Nicodemus was in the dark. He was struggling. His knowledge, his understanding was making him to go, this Jesus character is interesting. That's why he calls him teacher. He says, you're a teacher. I recognize God is with you. But he's not putting him at the level of Messiah. He's saying, you must be one of the anointed ones, the prophets, one of the people that God wants to use. He's in a sense putting him on the same level as Elijah, as, as Moses, as John the Baptist. As, you know, he was saying, you, you are on that level. And he comes to Jesus, now he's testing, he's wanting to question Jesus. And Jesus begins, I'm not gonna read it for you now, but please go and read John 3. Jesus starts laying it on, because Jesus says, man, you're a, you're a learned person, I can, I can go for it with you, I can give you the stuff. And he just starts speaking to him, and he starts telling him the kingdom principles. But the more Jesus speaks, the more he frowns, and he's scratching his head, and he's going, I don't know what you say. Jesus says, unless you're born again, 
You can't enter the kingdom. And he's like, I don't understand that. Must I go back into my mother's womb? Can you see? He's just, he's not getting it. And the more Jesus talks, the more he's getting, the more darker it's getting. He's like. And so in Nicodemus, we see somebody not recognizing the Messiah. He knew he needed a Messiah, but he didn't recognize the Messiah. He couldn't recognize him. If you can't recognize the Messiah, you won't go to the Messiah and you won't stay with the Messiah and you won't tell others about the Messiah. So he just sort of kept looking, inspecting. He was a good man. We read later on when the crowd wanted to you know, capture Jesus, he stood up and said, listen guys, we've got orderly rules here. We're not gonna do it by mob justice. And, and he sort of calmed the crowd. He was a good man. But we have no reason and evidence that he ever chose to believe in Jesus. In John 4, we have another case study. I'm skipping right through all of that. A great case study, which happens in the middle of the day. How many of you remember the story of John 4? Who does Jesus meet in the middle of the day? A woman at the well. Remember that. Jesus and his disciples are going past Samaria and he's hungry. He needs some Nando's and he sends the disciples in. He gives them the credit card. Oh no, Judas had the credit card, had signing rights and everything. So Judas says, Judas, just go buy me some food, man. And off they go. I don't know why all 12 of them had to go to buy food. I think they were more hungry than Jesus. I think Jesus wanted to get rid of them. He was like, I need a break from you guys. Stop following me everywhere I'm going. Just give me some space. And probably Jesus knew what was about to happen. So he's at the well. This woman comes in the middle of the day and you've heard the stories. It's an odd time for a person to come. And then even more odd, Jesus starts talking to her. A Jewish man, a rabbi, starts talking to a Samaritan woman in a public context. In her domain, the wells were sort of the woman's domain at the time. That was the woman's meeting place. That's where women could get out of their house, escape those toddlers that follow them everywhere, escape their pesky husbands, and just go and hang out. So here she's, and Jesus starts talking to her. And he goes for it. Again, he just gives her like real kingdom revelation. And you can see at first, she's like, what water are you talking about? Mountains and wells and you know, but... As she begins, as she talks, Jesus gets more personal with her and something begins to switch on. Instead of like Nicodemus getting more and more confused going into the dark, she starts moving to the light and she starts clicking and something starts happening. She said in verse 25 to 26, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things, all things, remember those words, all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, like a direct revelation. No beating around the bush. You're talking to the guy. Come on, you're gonna make a decision. You're talking to him. The woman left her water pot. She dropped that pot right there. And she runs into town. And she says to the guys, come see a man. And the town goes, we've heard that before. Because she's had five husbands and she's on her sixth one and she's not married to him. Yes, we know you've met a man. We've seen you with many men. You, you know, and they're like, ah, you know, it's just, and she says, no, no, no. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Remember what Jesus said? He says, he will tell you all things. Now she says, he has told me all things I've ever did. Just like Jesus did with Simon Peter when he said, you are now Cephas the rock, I will tell you who you are. He starts saying to this woman, let me tell you who you are. 
Let me define your life. Your life is not defined by your past, by your six, five husbands and your sixth man that you are with. I, we don't know if she was abused by those men or if she was you know, a tough person or what. We don't know. That is not important. What we know is she had a history and Jesus told her everything, but in such a way that it excited her. How, many, how would you feel if somebody tells you everything about yourself? How many of us would want to hide under the chair? There's a few more things I'm not prepared to tell you, more than glasses in fridges and you know, hockey. There's a few other things. Jesus tells her everything and she goes, wow. She drops the pot, she runs. What is she doing? A disciple tells others about Christ. She runs into town, she says, come. And the town follows her out. Perhaps they were like, okay, let's see this man. Is he gonna be the one? And right there, Jesus has an audience because of one person. One person. And she becomes a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Christ? Let's go back to the fruit. We want these four fruits in our lives. We want the fruit of, of our conduct, our actions, of our character, our attitudes of conversions or sharing Jesus with others. And we want the fruit of competence or our abilities. And when, when we become rooted in Christ, these things begin to happen through us. How we get rooted is these other four things. These are like being tapped into the root system. If you wanna get tapped into the, and, and let the, that the, the, the life of Jesus begin to flow through you. They know that you need help, you need a savior. Recognize that a savior has come, that he's standing in front of you, he's putting out his hand to you by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that none of us can save ourselves even if we recognize Jesus? It's Jesus that draws us, that calls us. Now some will not recognize his call and some will recognize it but not respond to it. But if I can respond and say, Lord, I wanna come to you and I'm gonna remain with you, he will begin to form me and shape me. I will become apprenticed by him. And the way I remain in him also is I share him with others. I tell others about him. The Holy Spirit begins to empower me to share, to be a witness, a living witness of Christ in this day and age. Without your testimony, the story of Jesus will be something that is, resides in, the, in our history and in our history books. But your story makes Jesus alive today for some people. Remember Paul says, you, some of you, you are the, some, for some people you are the only letter they will read. They will never be drawn to Jesus. Because except if you make him known. I mean, we know how hard Jesus works to draw people unto him. He draws every man. This is the will of God that every man be saved. He chooses every person and he says, come, come to me. Come see me. Come and spend time with him. Isn't it so fantastic to hear all these great stories of people in the, in the Arab world, in the Middle East, that are encountering Jesus in their sleep. They have dreams of Jesus. Jesus comes and stands before them and tells them, I am your savior. And then they wake up and they look for somebody to tell them more about this Jesus. And I've, I've met people like this and they, they find somebody and somebody tells them, let me tell you about this person you saw in their dream. In your dream and they go, wow, God is drawing people. 
He's drawing you and me. Worship team, you guys can join me. Thank you. I want more fruit in my life. But to have more fruit, I have to rightly discern myself. I have to recognize the Messiah. I need to remain with the Messiah. And then I need to recommend the Messiah. The more that pattern develops in my life, it is a, it is a formation, it's a shaping of me, that cambium that is flowing into my life, changing me, and then you will see the fruit. You will see the fruit. Won't you stand with me? I want to I pray and I want to make a space right now for the Holy Spirit. Because you know it's the Holy Spirit that, makes, that drew me to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real to me every day. I was listening on Friday. I popped in at the LTS on Thursday and Brian was speaking about just getting to know God as a father. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit that we get to know Jesus. But sometimes, you know, we start a journey with Jesus and we, we meet him and, and it's like fantastic. But then it can just fade over time. We get preoccupied, we get busy. We get caught up in humdrum of life. But I wanna pray for us today for a refreshing of being with Jesus. That Jesus will capture our hearts afresh. It may be that you are with us here in the building or joining us online or even on the radio and you don't know Jesus. At the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to come forward and say to somebody, I want to get to know Jesus and let them pray with you. This is the code word you use. I want to give my life to Jesus. And they'll help you. If you're online, then you'll see there's an email address you can send. On the radio, go to our website, www.hatfield.co.za and contact us. But can I ask you in this moment, those that are gathered here, those that are online, those that are listening, just won't you spread your arms or just put yourself in a place where you say, here I am, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I, I know you. And I just open my heart, my mind, my being, and I say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, draw us to Jesus and then help us to remain with Jesus. We don't want any part of our lives that has a no trespassing sign. We want everything to be open to Jesus. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, I thank you for this, the stirring of your, of your power, of your grace right now over people. Those that are online, those that are here, just receive the Holy Spirit. Just begin to receive. Just say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for a fresh, refreshing, a stirring and infilling in my life. Thank you for more of Jesus for more life so that I can have more fruit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just draw near to us Holy Spirit. There's some here that in, in a sense in your spiritual life there's been a like a 
lifelessness, perhaps even a slipping away. Today, I trust your Holy Spirit for a stirring, for a moving, for, a, for a, or just a drawing, a, a bringing life, living water. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, living water. Living water, stir up that living water in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. For some, there may have been that you have run away from Jesus. I speak by the Spirit today that you will respond to Him, that you will recognize the Messiah. You will turn and you will come to Him and you will remain with Him. Perhaps you've tried in the past, but you've you kept on slipping away. I pray by the Spirit today that people will begin to remain with you, abide with you, Lord. Make their home with you. Where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of life. We come to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you just begin to respond to the Lord as we just sing a bit of a song together and just, just declare our hearts. Give our hearts space right now to respond. Let, let the music help us to just climb to the Lord, to just come to the Lord. Come, Jesus. If you need to respond to the Lord right now, I'm going to close the service in a moment, but I want to, I want to give people opportunity that needs to respond to the Lord today. Maybe that you need to respond to say, I need to give my life to Jesus. It may be that you need to respond to say, Lord, I, I just want to make more space for you. I just want, I, I don't want to dr drift away from you or Lord, I, I'm, I'm doing great in my relationship with you, but I want more, Lord. Then I'm going to invite you just to come to the front. Our team's going to be ready to pray with you, just to pray for the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And, and come, and if you're online with us, just put something in the comment section that says, pray for me. If you want to give your life to Jesus, say, I want to give my life to Jesus in the comment section, and they will respond to you. If you're on the radio, make contact with us. But right now, just begin to come. If you feel the Lord is stirring you, if there's a calling, if there's a, I want to know Jesus, just begin to come. And we're going to continue to worship for a bit as people come forward. But I want to thank you for being with us today, whether you're here or online. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of something there where there's a, a yearning, a desire for more of Jesus, for the kingdom to come in our hearts, our homes, and beyond. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord go with you. May the Lord strengthen you. May the Lord grant you opportunities to grow deeper into Him and to share your love for Him with others. May the Lord bless you. If you need to go, remember to go to the Connect Lounge. Uh, Letitia will meet you there. And if you want to find out more about our community and how to be part and be connected within that. But may the Lord bless you. And don't forget to pick up your children. We're not going to look after them. Bless you. Have a wonderful day. Please come forward for those that want to respond in prayer.